Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Joining me from Moscow is Fred Weir, veteran correspondent covering Russia for the Christian Science Monitor. Fred, welcome to Pushback. Pleasure to be here. The poisoning of Alexei Navalny, the German government says that they found Novichok in his system. Now a lot of pressure on the Russian government to come up with an explanation to investigate. What are your thoughts on what we know so far? Well, we don't know very much. Um, I mean, I think it, people should understand that Russia is a big, sprawling country. It's It's got many, many intersecting elites, uh, which Putin has managed fairly effectively over the past 20 years, but he doesn't control everything. Uh, and, and so uh, when you have a character like Navalny, who is part of the extra parliamentary opposition, he's a kind of, uh, he's kind of like, say, the Communist Party would be in the United States or something like that. Uh, he, he's definitely on the margins, but it, Russia being the type of opaque uh, and, and certainly rigid, centralized state that it is, um, the, the authorities consider him to be a threat, and he's a fairly talented pop politician. Uh, he has to, he has got a lot of enemies, I mean, within the Russian elite, within Russia. Uh, what happened to him uh, is, is scary and horrifying, but it, it, it's kind of hard to see it having been ordered by Putin. Um, first of all, I'm pretty sure that Russian secret services, and I'm posing this as a question, not as as a polemic, but Russian secret services, I think, I'm guessing, know how to kill efficiently and without creating a, a, a really loud scandalous trail leading to themselves. And the use of anything by the name Novichok does plant a flag that says Russian secret services Kremlin. Uh, and the fact is that We've had a string of poisonings over the past, you know, 15 years or so, scary, um, mysterious, uh, and disturbing poisonings. But uh, for the most part, and again, I'm not making light of this or, or uh, you know, trying, trying to minimize it, but for the most part, the victims have survived. Uh, you, that, again, doesn't suggest the ruthless agents of the Kremlin eliminating their political opponents. Uh, you had the case of Alexander Litvinenko in London, uh, who was infamously poisoned with polonium, radioactive agent, and he died. But since then, you have um, Vladimir Karamurza, a veteran critic of the Kremlin, uh, who's been poisoned twice and survived both and returned to his former dissident activities. You have the one of the founders of Pussy Riot, Pyotr Berzilov, who was apparently poisoned two years ago and medevaced out to Germany to the same hospital that Navalny's in now. Uh, he survived and has returned to Russia and is still in his, you know, uh, involved in all his activities. And now you have this case, you had the case of the Skripals in Salisbury, and now you have this Navalny incident. And you, you just 
I mean, it just raises a lot of questions. Uh, they're, they're simple narratives and, and everybody is jumping into line and saying, see, the Kremlin, Novichok. And it, it's, it's really hard to address that if you are like a correspondent in Russia and your job is to try to figure out exactly what's happening in this complicated place where so much is opaque to you. Um, it's hard not to, uh, you know, jump into the your combat gear and and get with the narrative, but uh, in a sense, Putin does own it. This is his country. He's the president, and in my opinion, he's not doing enough to investigate these cases. But on the other hand, it really doesn't make sense or compute that he would be ordering these poisonings. Uh, first of all, they're, for the most part, unsuccessful, as I said. And secondly, they do him more harm, personally. They, they are more of a, a danger and a humiliation to Putin. Uh, in, in, you know, like Navalny in his present state uh, is, is really uh, uh, an embarrassment to Russia and to Putin and much more so than Navalny walking around getting with his regular daily activities as he was when this happened. So it's, it's, it's a mystery to me. Uh, and I, I really wish there were answers and I'm sure that some of them could be provided by the Russian government uh, and, and uh, security services if they were more forthcoming. Let me but, ask you, Fred, yeah. The, the the way that Navalny is described in U.S. media as a Russian opposition leader, is that how he's viewed inside of Russia? Because I've heard Russians say that he's actually more of an anti and a very effective anti-corruption activist. Well, he, he's an anti-Kremlin activist. Uh, he is not a liberal or a Democrat. People seem to project that upon him, but he is nothing like that, but he is a very effective opposition politician. His following in Russia is not that large, um, but it, it is enthusiastic and loyal. Um, and his anti-corruption activities are one of the ways in which he does express his opposition very effectively. He does these YouTube videos, perhaps you've, you've seen some, uh, in which he lampoons and lambastes the corruption of high officials. Um, and it's not that hard to do in Russia. We have a regime here where the oligarchy is intertwined with the in officialdom. And what Navalny can do quite effectively is show how supposed civil servants are living uh, far beyond their declared means. And of course, the Russian population hates that. Um, and so it's one of the ways he gets at um, at Putin and at the at the, the Russian elite writ larger. They they get shown up for the hypocrites and and corrupt uh, bastards that they are. And uh, so that's one thing he does effectively. Another thing he's been doing is pushing this uh, tactical voting. Thing. And I know that requires some explanation to Westerners who don't think that any kind of voting 
takes place in Russia, but there is a systemic opposition. It includes things like the Communist Party, the Fair Russia Party, which is sort of social democratic, um, the so-called uh, Liberal Democratic Party, which is ultra-nationalist, but they are real parties and they have real critiques of the Kremlin. Uh, they're not looking to overthrow the system, but they are looking to get a bigger share of the pie politically. And so the elections are sort of real to that extent that those that spectrum of parties takes place. And Navalny has been going around getting encouraging people to vote against the United Russia Party, which is the pro-Kremlin party, by voting for anybody else who looks strong, a communist, uh, a, 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 a nationalist, anybody, else, anybody but United Russia. And that proved to be very effective in Moscow last year, last uh, September, and he was doing that in Siberia. And so that may very well have uh, felt like a threat to the United Russia Party which is sort of like a trade union of officials and, and big businessmen. Uh, and uh, I, I, he, he may have, you know, um, uh, attracted enemies that way. Uh, so, but it's, it's, uh, it's not, it's marginal in Russian politics. It's not currently a threat to the Kremlin. It, Navalny is little more than a nuisance and I can't, believe that uh, Putin would rocket him to the top of the world political agenda by with, through a botched attempt to assassinate him or even an effective one. It just does not make sense to me. Uh, but I haven't got a coherent alternative explanation for it. You mentioned earlier how the reasons why this might actually hurt Putin one of them now is you have the German opposition um, party, uh, uh, parties inside the German opposition who are calling for on Angela Merkel to cancel the, this proposed uh, Russia-German Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Can you talk about what an important project that is for Putin and what this might mean if the poisoning of Navalny ends up canceling that project? Yeah, well, you have, um, you know how the um, media and elite in the United States are given to uh, conspiracy theories rather a lot lately. And in Russia, the conspiracy theory du jour is that the Navalny poison was kind of, poisoning was kind of staged by Western interests precisely to promote uh, the sabotaging of Nord Stream 2. Nord Stream 2, and, and there's a southern one, Turk Stream, that goes to southern Europe via Turkey, are uh, the big effort by Gazprom, Russia's giant natural gas monopoly, to circumvent Ukraine and Poland and countries that have been, from the Russian establishment point of view, troublesome uh, over the past couple of decades, uh, and to deliver the gas directly. Uh, Nord Stream 2 is the second half of one that's already been completed, Nord Stream 1, which has been delivering gas for what, about six or seven years now to Germany. Uh, Nord Stream 2 will double the volume. Uh, and so it's a huge thing. It's almost finished. Uh, and it involves not just Russia's Gazprom, but several huge 
European mega corporations. They're all involved uh, and they have a huge stake in it. Um, so the United States, which doesn't have much economic stake in relations with Russia at all, uh, has been pushing uh, sanctions, not just against Russia and Gazprom, but against Western companies, European companies that are involved with building Nord Stream 2. And they, I think, I mean, it, it, it's coming down to the wire. The pipeline is almost finished. Uh, last fall, they, uh, the latest round of U.S. Congress sanctions got forced the European company that was building it. They had a special, you know, pipeline laying ship. They had to withdraw that from the project. But the Russians have a replacement, which seems to be immune to sanctions, ready to go. So it it, it is a tense, a really really tense uh, race to see whether the Russians can finish it or not. And so. The, the Russian conspiracy theory about Navalny, uh, it makes that kind of uh, superficial sense that many conspiracy theories do. It's who would, they ask who would benefit from this. And uh, obviously uh, this real spike in tensions between Germany and Russia and a, a lot of pressure now for Germany to cancel Nord Stream 2 um, would, you know, you, you can, you can connect those dots. Uh, but that's, that's the level at which this discussion is taking place, that's for sure. Well, it's interesting to consider that in light of the dominant American conspiracy theory of the last four years, which is that Vladimir Putin controls Donald Trump. And that has meant, I think, in the US media, largely ignoring the case of the Nord Stream 2, where it's Donald Trump and his administration that are leading the charge to cancel the Nord Stream 2 and are even trying to impose sanctions on Europe over it in a bid to undermine it. But that has been largely ignored or one of the many stories largely ignored because I think it undermines the dominant conspiracy theory that so many people in the media and political class here have have latched onto. So, and on this front, I want to ask you, you are a veteran correspondent in Russia. You um, you come from the US or, or Canada? I don't remember. I'm, I'm Canadian. You're Canadian. So what what is it like for you as a Westerner living inside of Russia, knowing it very well, and looking at just for the last four years, the way Russia and Vladimir Putin have been discussed in the West as this evil genius who can install a president get people to protest against each other in the streets, can basically, you know, do anything he wants, uh, according to the, the narrative that we get. Yeah, I should tell you that uh, most Russians uh, laugh their heads off uh, when this idea is explained to, to them that Putin is, is manipulating U.S. politics. Because he, I mean, he's, he's popular in Russia in the sense that people see no alternative to him. And, and the past 20 years, it has to be said, have not been bad years for in, in Russian, compared to the rest of Russian history, they've been rather good years and people uh, value stability, but they don't particularly love Putin and they certainly don't worship him uh, as a guy who can you know, control stuff. He can't, I mean, it's, it's visible that he can't even fix who is going to be governor in Khabarovsk this summer. And so, so that 
notion of the all-powerful Putin really does excite a lot of derision among Russians. Um, and I, I don't know myself. Uh, I mean, um, I, I mean, I have no better idea what Russian secret services get up to than, than you know what the CIA is doing on any given day or any average Russian or American knows that stuff. But um, it is a staple of Soviet and Russian political culture that authorities always blame foreigners when things go wrong. Uh, they're always, uh, and they're, they still do it, not to the extent that the Soviet officialdom did, but they always introduce the foreign hand and the secret foreign manipulations that are going on and they always have their security chiefs standing behind them nodding solemnly yes yes we know this is happening and it's my experience that russians are completely immune to that uh they it just rolls off their backs like water off a duck uh because they've just been exposed to so much uh of explanations about uh, things whenever there are protests in the street or Chernobyl happens or anything like that, it's always the foreign hand that is invoked. So Russians tend to ignore that. Uh, maybe you Americans have just been getting a big dose of it for the first time. Because uh, uh, I myself am amazed at how seriously uh, so many Americans seem to take the idea that uh, that Putin can choose an American president by, uh, you know, posting fake ads on Facebook. I, I, it just, it seems, I mean, to me, absurd. And Russians just don't, don't get it at all. But, um, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, um, I, I, as, a, as a foreign journalist in Russia, this is this is what you're asking me. So I'm 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 regarded as an American journalist, I because I work for the Christian Science Monitor. I travel around Russia. I find people are extremely hospitable and friendly. They laugh uh, at the idea. I can remember being on TV in Voronezh uh, about a year ago when the State Duma, the, the Parliament was trying was talking about debating, declaring. All American journalists to be foreign agents, because the uh, United States had just declared RT to be a foreign agent, in you know in violation or in forced to register under FARA, uh, and the moderator of the program I was on was just laughing his head off at this. He's saying, "How does it feel to be a foreign agent?" And laughing. So it's it's quite a different atmosphere for me. I, I just don't have any of that trouble with ru ordinary Russians. And I don't really have much, I don't have much, you know, contact with officialdom anyway. Other, uh, but uh, I, I don't get interfered with. And all I can say is that I would really hate to be a Russian journalist in the United States right now, with the atmosphere that one, you know, senses about people having contacts with Russians and the contamination that Russians bring. It reminds me of the Soviet Union. But here in Russia, at least in, you can ask other journalists, um, but I feel totally comfortable here. I, I have not had problems in years. It's been like uh, 17 years since I was even detained by the security police for any reason. Uh, and, and even then it was 
not a, not a big deal. It's a brief encounter. So I, I'm, uh, I, I'm just surprised at how things go and how much the United States seems to be adopting things that I regard as features of Soviet political culture. Well, I think uh, propaganda aimed at domestic U.S. audiences is a very long-standing thing, aimed to sow fear of other countries, blame them for our problems, and justify increased militarism towards them, which I think is very much a dominant factor in the case of U.S. propaganda against Russia. And it's just amazing how successful it's been, despite the fact that even if we accept that everything Russia is accused of here in the U.S., is being correct. So it's stealing some emails and putting out some silly memes on social media that even even if we accept that all that is true, that that is still presented to us as this seismic threat that is literally compared by U.S. politicians to Pearl Harbor and 9-11. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things about that, if, if you take this latest um, um, I guess retread of this Russia gate thing where Facebook has banned a supposedly Russian news site. Uh, uh, and, and I, the reason I, I personally got involved in it because Facebook censored a post of mine about it. Mm-hmm. And I got quite uh, upset about this. Just but- to explain this quickly, Fred. So this is a website called peace data and, and a firm called Graphica, which works closely with uh, NATO tied groups, NATO funded groups, came out and said that this website, Peace Data, was posing as a progressive website. It really was run by people who are associated with the Internet Research Agency, which is this troll farm that was indicted for putting up some memes during the 2016 uh, US presidential election. Yes. Um, and I had never heard of this Peace Data website before. Uh, Perhaps it's a real thing, and perhaps uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, the guy who funded the Internet Research Agency, is doing that. Uh, but if you go to that website, which is what I was trying to encourage my Facebook friends to do, just go have a look at the content on it, and then try to describe what you think is the threat. Because it's basically opinion. Uh, and it was and it's basically mostly written by American journalists um, who are of a leftist orientation, and they're commenting on and it's a rather rather wide spectrum of comment on American politics. Now, I, I don't I, I really don't know why Prigozhin or Russians would be doing that. But you've got RT, you've got Sputnik, you've got various Russian uh, um, media outreach things, propaganda, if you like. They do do that. There's just no question about it. But what are we afraid of? Just go and look at it. Go, you know, access RT. They have an American version. They have a British version. Look at their content. And please, somebody get back to me and tell me, what is it about it that scares you? Um, I mean, I grew up in the Cold War. I grew up in Canada. But Canada in those days was a very self-confident society. You could step into a communist bookstore, buy a Soviet propaganda pamphlet, 
and nobody would say anything about that. It was perfectly obvious. I went to university. We had all kinds of different groups flogging their different pamphlets in the in the main lobby every day. You could have any kind of argument. Argument. You. It, it seems like all that's closing down, uh, and instead of having this open marketplace of ideas where we're all perfectly confident that uh, we're okay and we can, the average citizen can make up their own mind, sort their way through different opinions, uh, we're frightened that they might hear something uh, from Russia. It's, it's really quite bizarre, and it is, in some ways, the opposite of the Cold War times when it was the Soviet authorities who were terrified of, you know, foreign uh, broadcast organizations, foreign books uh, getting in and reaching average Soviet citizens. Uh, but today, the, the main Russian state news agency, RIA Novosti, actually has a very popular website, it's called Inosni, which uh, every day translates, does good full translations of media articles from the Western press and publishes them. It's one of the most popular web news sites in, in Russia. Uh, so, I don't know, there's so many ironies, so many levels of irony. Uh, and I guess there is an information war going on, but uh, it seems like the Russian government, for all of its deficiencies, trusts their own citizens more to like to view various kinds of content these days than uh, U.S. authorities do. Let me ask you finally about Navalny. There's got to be some way for an independent testing here have there been any calls inside Russia for his lab test to go to some neutral scientific body? Because you had the hospital in Russia that tested him uh, that did not find Novichok. And then he goes to Germany. There is Novichok there. Have there been any calls for somehow uh, his samples to be taken to some kind of neutral body for there to be tests done there? I, I don't know if there are any neutral bodies. Um, but what, what I thought at the time of the Skripal affair uh, in Britain was that a lot of uh, a lot of answers might be like forced into the open if the British had shared their data with the Russians that there'd been some kind of you know dialogue that was at least semi-open uh, you, you sim it simply would have forced the two sides to get off their closed narratives and at least just invent something new. You, it, you, it would have been good. And it would be good here too, if you could get Russian doctors from, from Tomsk there uh, to meet with their German counterparts and share their data in, in some form that would become semi-open. Uh, because otherwise what we're getting, and we've seen it already several times, this is being recycled, but you get entrenched narratives. People, uh, you, people believe a certain chain of events. It doesn't matter how flimsy 
and fact-free that is, uh, it, it is impossible to penetrate. And in, on one side, it's Putin is the a dictator who is murdering his opponents. Uh, he's using the most advanced, deadly nerve agents, and his ruthless agents are are, are killing people, and and they're just lying about it. And on the other side, and I know this about Russians, um, they increasingly think that Western media is lying. And I, I mean, even liberal Russians who used to be pretty pro-Western people look at things that are being written and shake their heads and think, no, nah, that, that's, that does not make sense to us. Uh, it, and increasingly, in Russians are getting their backs up and, and seeing it as anti-Russian propaganda. Things are being made up uh, in order to slander us. And there is no, there is no daylight between those two positions. You just can't there, you just can't reconcile them, and and without some kind of dialogue taking place, uh, they're just going to get harder and harder, and it's going to get worse and worse. Uh, but I see no hope on either side, frankly, that 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 you could bridge these two narratives. Why do you see no hope? Uh, why? Well, I I mean, you see how things are going, uh, and I I can say that the 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 Russian side, which is the side I cover, is quite intransigent. Um, they're, they're, they, they could um, do something like, for instance, they could announce uh, an investigation into this Navalny affair. They could do much more. Even, I mean, their position is unless the Germans provide us with proof of poisoning, then we don't have any grounds to start a criminal investigation. Uh, and that, you know, you could say that that's reasonable, but if they were to go an extra mile, like try to uh, reach out uh, with, with information, maybe more about these family of chemicals and its history that, not, that are called Novichok, maybe if they were to make some more efforts with the Russian media to go and look at things, talk. I don't know. They, they could do more, but it would be on the basis of goodwill, on the basis of believing that if they did this, that Westerners would listen to them. Um, and I don't think that we're at that place anymore. We were 15 years ago. There was an awful lot of goodwill in Russia toward the West. And 20 years ago, uh, polls showed that most Russians were actually very pro-American. And now the polls, those polls are upside down. Most Russians are, are very suspicious and hostile toward the United States. And it's because of the way they have experienced these events in the past couple of decades. Um, and I think the same is true in the West that attitudes toward Russia have hardened. Nobody, th nobody thinks that you should do anything based on goodwill toward Russia. In fact, they, they need to be punished harder. Uh, I think that's a, a general view, certainly in the political classes. So no, I, I can't, I can't see hope. Well, it's a, uh, ominous place to leave it, but we'll have to leave it there for now. And I look forward to having you back on Fred to discuss. This sure. Further. Happy to do it. 
Fred Weir, Russia correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor, speaking to us from Moscow. Thanks very much.